Hey folks, Josh here. Thanks for pressing play on another episode of Punching Sideways. And I just wanted to jump in here quickly at the start of today's episode with two quick things. The first, as a former board member of the Aubrey Wodonga Bandits, I thought it was important that I just throw on the start here that I actually stepped down from the board after several years and several terms. It was a really great time as of July 2018. So anything remotely stupid that I say in the conversation to follow about the bandits, their future, recruiting, etc., who, which players hopefully they keep, that's just my crazy opinion and my crazy theories. The second is, I kind of miffed the recording a tiny bit and mixed everything down to a mono file. I won't bore you with the details of what that is, but it does mean that I couldn't edit out as much of the mic handling noise and me coughing like an old person at one point and a few other rustles and noises. So the audio still sounds great, and my guest, Chris Young, was completely on fire, particularly when we get onto the Lady Bandits towards the end of the episode. He was really great through that part of the podcast. Okay, I won't bore you to death. We've got some local basketball to talk here. Obviously, this isn't the future of the show. Not every episode will be about the local basketball team, but they had some great news recently, and... It's where my, I guess for the lack of a better term, where my heart's been in local sport for the last half a decade. So you're going to learn a little bit about how much I cared about the team. And once again, my opinions only, not anyone in the board or the coaching staff or the players. Okay, let's jump in with the border males, Chris Young. Some kind of guest, yeah? Enjoy. everyone. I'm here in my room for the first time at this particular house. I'm with Chris Young from the Border Mail. He's the local basketball expert at the local paper and other particular articles that he writes. I'm sure we'll get onto that today because most people that will be listening to this probably only know him for his basketball stuff. And I guess we'll just start off, Chris. How did you end up with that particular beat? Because I think when it comes to all the sporting teams around here, I know I'm incredibly biased and I would have said something in the intro to let everyone know that I have just spent several years as a board member and now I'm not. They're a very fanatical fan base for a regional town and a regional club. Pretty crazy, really, the moods of the room when you're at a home game, for example. How did you end up with that particular beat? You're absolutely not wrong about the uh, the crowd. This is probably one of the best parts about covering the team. It was interesting. It was sort of a matter of, of timing, to be brutally honest. Um, uh, I, for, I started at the Border Mail in, in 2015 um, as a cadet uh, in sport. I moved back from moved back home. I'm from, I'm from here originally, but uh, I'd been in Canberra for a few years uh, studying journalism, and I was lucky enough to, um, to be asked to come back and, and take a job at the Border Mail uh, as a sports reporter, which, um, to be brutally honest, wasn't actually the direction I'd originally seen my career taking. And, uh, when I took over the bandits from, um, from Steve Smith, who'd, who'd covered it for a very long time before I did, to, to be honest, and some of you who may have read my early work with the bandits, I did not know a thing about basketball. I knew the rules more or less. Um, I knew how the game worked, but well, not actually, no, not a very nuanced understanding of how the game worked at all. But with the bandits, what I found was that it was just, it was so much fun to be there. The first few games I went, I, I covered at the venue and it just sort of 
captured me. Um, so I did a lot of other sport, you know, covered footy, covered cricket, but basketball sort of stuck, st- something about basketball kind of stuck out to me. Um, and yeah, I've, uh, I've held onto it. I'm not actually a sports reporter anymore, but I, um, I've held onto the basketball just, just out of a love for it. It's, um, yeah, I really enjoy it. That's awesome. So there's a few things there already that I want to dig into. The first one is I actually enjoyed your early work because, let's be honest, you're not going to find anyone in a regional town, even that's working for a major publication, that can talk more technically about basketball than Steve. Mm. He is a guru of the game. He understands it on a very technical level and at times that must have been tough for him because he was seeing things happen on the court that were pushing back against his understanding of the fundamentals of the game. And I'm sure there were articles that probably upset people at the club just because he was pointing those things out, whereas your articles definitely came in with, this is a pretty unique experience. I wasn't expecting basketball in this area to have this kind of vibe when you go to a home game, etc. It, that that's very true, and I came on at an interesting time too. When the Bandits, the first the first year I covered the Bandits, they lost one game, and it was the Siebel Championship game against Mount Gambier in 2015. So I covered a run of 11 straight wins, culminating in a home conference finals win over Geelong, which resulted in you know obviously a huge amount of coverage. And by that point, I think the quality of my writing had, had increased a little bit. Steve mentored me uh, a bit. Steve and I are still obviously pretty close friends. We hang out uh, when he's in town and, and whatnot. But, um, yeah, it, it was a really, really interesting time to learn to cover basketball because they were just absolutely rolling that team. They just yeah. could not be stopped. I didn't realise that you started in the middle of that season because when I think back, obviously that last game was pretty disappointing mm. for everyone that was a hardcore follower of the team, and we did have that awesome role. And mm. at the time, we had three outstanding players that were top. Three all-stars. Yeah, top 10 to 12 players, and any of them could have been the best player on the court on any particular game, and they all were firing at the same time. And the role guys were amazing through that period as well. But when I think back, I remember a couple of the bigger pieces that Steve did, but you'd actually already taken over from what you're saying, the week-to-week coverage of the team, which I don't remember quite so much. Yeah, there was um, there was a particularly there was a big piece about Corey Dixon. Yeah, that was um, one so of the that, ones that I one wasn't me. That was a feature. I wish I wish that was me because that was an absolutely that's brilliant. That's still some of the best writing I've seen. That was the um, yeah. that was uh, yeah well, that was Steve and uh, one of our other features writers, Jody O'Sullivan, who put that piece together. Okay. Um, and yeah, you're right. That that and that was probably one of the things also that, that got me into basketball writing. What captured me and the, the absolute benefit of, of covering that team, the characters on that team were also unique. Like that was a that was a headstrong team. And what stood out to me uh, over any other sport was that these guys were kind of allowed to be themselves and, and, and wear their stories so personally and all of them were so different. And it's been the same ever since. Every player in basketball is allowed to speak so candidly about how they're feeling at any given time. It just makes them as a player so much more compelling and then it takes it puts what they do on the court in a in a bit of a different light as well and you get a much better understanding of where they're at as people and that to me is what was so captivating about basketball uh is just that the story is everywhere it's everything in the in the sport there's not really as much sort of spin placed on on players and they're not wrapped in cotton wool and they're not 
they've all got a measure of media training, but the context of it is completely different. It's just about being honest and it's really enjoyable because it makes you as a reporter more keen to make sure that their story gets told in in a proper way as well. You're absolutely right. And I think given the context of the fact that it's a semi-professional league that has a lot of regionality to the teams, whether they be based in parts of Melbourne, that that might be the only semi-professional or professional team they have in that area. Like Frankston, for example, I'm not even sure whether they have a VFL team anymore or they're pretty much just basketball. Mm. And around here, the Bandits obviously is the only team playing in a national competition. I think that it does grab the community more that the, those type of athletes gravitate to the sport of basketball, mm. that and they have yeah. stories because it's hard to get people in the country mm. truly, you know, that passionate about something like it's not Absolutely. it's not European soccer. But basketball, <laughs> basketball, yeah, you know, obviously soccer is is known as the world game, but I'd say basketball's on the same level because it's it's star athletes are just as well travelled in terms of the world. It's played right around the world in the same way soccer is, um, and I think it just endows those athletes with a, an entirely different perspective on what it is that they do, and they kind of see the bigger picture a little bit more. And then just frankly that the team nature of basketball plays into it. It's five guys on the court and those five guys have to work together to score the ball and to stop the other team from scoring the ball. And this sounds really stupid, but the way your personalities fit or don't fit makes that process so much more compelling to watch because when it works, it's amazing. Like you've of you would full well know, like when any good bandits team is is rolling like they have in the last couple of years when when they go on a run like the roof on that stadium is going to blow off um you know it's it's incredible to watch people ask me often about why well to begin with most people that haven't been to the bandits don't realize that the now former Siebel, the quality of the actual sport when it's a high level game is incredibly high mm. like not every game is played at that standard whether it's teams have off weeks or injuries or they don't have enough of those top guys that are all healthy at the same time. But, for example, that 2015 final against Geelong, the first final, there was some big individual performances. Like I think uh, Deborah George had a massive first half and Corey and Dante had a really solid second half between the two of them and that kind of was felt like that game was more in control. Mm. But that second game, that had so many momentum shifts and the stadium was either on edge or exploding out of the roof, like you said. It Geelong was brought it that second game. It was incredible. Yeah. And, yeah, that, that that game was really an encapsulation of that Bandits team too because there were so many little things. So each, each of those players had their moment um, and that conference finals game kind of showed, especially now looking back on it, and I've got a better understanding of how these things work, showed that that team was really well constructed. You had your man in the middle, Corey, uh, yeah, Corey who... You know, a lot of the stuff revolved around him and you had Dante Nicholas and Deborah George out the top and you had guys like Clay McMath who could could do what he did that night. He exploded. I think he had 22 points or something. Yeah. He shot the ball extremely well. He he was sort of the, the guy that won it for him. And then you had the bench, um, you know, a couple of veterans in um, Michael Watson and uh, Matt DeCoya who, you know, veterans played yeah. for the team for a long time and, and brought defense and three-point shooting and, and it yeah. paid off. And they kept their heads, mm. which... Those guys, I didn't. I don't think I realised at the time how important the presence of those two guys was when you had a lot of individually really gifted players that mm. at times could venture a little bit into 
playing solo land. Yeah, those those, those guys, two guys brought the team into focus yeah. in that. And any one of those guys could have been prone to playing iso ball. Like Corey would have been well within his rights to just demand the ball in the post thirty yeah. times a game because he was so Deba efficient could, there. Yeah, yeah. Deborah could have ISO'd as many times as he wanted. You had Dan Sapokas on that team too. Yeah. Like you know that that team was incredibly well balanced. Um, and really, if you don't get a lot of little things right off the court, that team could have been a disaster. Like, there are some strong personalities on there. Like, Dante Nicholas doesn't take any crap. Corey Dixon no. certainly does not take any crap. And you hear stories about some of their practices. Clay McMath is a fairly fiery character yeah, when he yeah. wanted to be. But they found a way to make it work. Like, I think, and I think because those guys genuinely came to, to love each other as, as that season wore on, you could just sort of see it after they won that conference final that it really did mean a lot to each of them on an individual level for, for various reasons. But then they saw the bigger picture as a team and it was just... It was a great time for that team. And just, I think, just before we move on, I, I wanted to just remind people that maybe can't remember the true context of that game. The coach of Geelong at the time, whose name I'm blanking on at the moment, he did say in the interview afterwards, we weren't going to let Deborah George beat us, which he, I think he scored 25 in the first half the game before, and we're not going to let Corey or Dante beat us. It's going to have to be someone else. And Clay did step up mm. and won the biggest game that, well, since I've been watching the Banders personally, other than 2012, it was the next yeah, greatest ab- achievement of the club. Absolutely. And it was the guy that probably was getting forgotten about a little bit by other teams that stepped up and hit a lot of big shots in that game. Yeah, there were times throughout that season where, where Clay had, had done that too. Like I think the, when the Bandits were, that Bandits team was at its best when Clay was hitting shots, even if he had 10 points, if he hit two threes or something, yeah, yeah. it opened so much up for them. Oh, yeah, definitely, because he was, he was efficient mm. from that distance when he was on. Yeah, and that changed. Yeah. yeah, streaky shooter, but like he was the key in a lot of ways to that team success that year. Yeah, definitely. So we've talked a little bit of Bandit's past and how you particularly yourself got involved. I wanted to talk about the, I don't know what to call it, whether it's the dissolution of Siebel or whether it's Basketball Australia losing faith in Siebel or just that maybe they didn't want to run it anymore. I'm not here to, mm. you know, we're not here to relitigate that case against Basketball Australia because that's not really our place and they don't really have much to do with Aubrey Wodonga, to be honest. But the Bandits certainly do, and now they're moving into an elite league which is being administered by Basketball Australia that already have, I guess, more of a footprint locally in certain capacities with mm. the teams in Wodonga that play in Big V, etc. Yeah, Basketball Victoria um, doing doing that comp. It'll be It's an interesting time. Um, so... Basically, the fundamental theory of, of what I think, I don't think, there's a few things I'm not too sure about in terms of why it's no longer Siebel. I think what it fundamentally comes down to is that BA didn't want to run it anymore, and, and that is what it is. So the, the plan is has been for each of the states, so basketball BV, basketball New South Wales, etc., to run their own premier leagues, and the, this it's, this is good in a lot of ways for the Bandits because with the exception of Canberra and Mount Gambia, all of the Siebel teams are sort of based in Victoria. Um, and so are, there's a Sydney women's team that will no longer be in the competition, yeah. which is a bit of a shame. They're, they're based in Victoria. So for the Bandits, it's it's sort of not bad news in a way because they're going to be playing largely the same opposition. Uh, the Tasmanian teams have been included in this competition as well as well as the Basketball Australia Centre of Excellence, who've made the move to Melbourne more or less solely for the purpose of competing in this competition. Because in terms of premier state competitions, Victoria's will be the strongest because 
basically the skeleton of the stable is what it's been built on. Yeah, yeah. We might just park for a second on that basketball centre of excellence because I'm sure there are people listening today that aren't just interested in hearing about a bit of bandage spiel in the off season, <laughs> but they also might not mind hearing something they didn't know. My interpretation of the press release was that the Basketball Centre of Excellence would be playing their home games in Melbourne, and they were basically, they have to play there. Yeah. So games they would normally have played at their stadium in in Canberra will now be in Melbourne. But yep. are they actually based now in Melbourne? I'm fairly as a, confident. As a group. I'm, I'll happily eat uh, humble pie on this, but I'm fairly confident from, from sort of talking to people that, uh, and I swear I saw a press release about them moving just the whole centre to Melbourne. Yeah, right. I'm fairly confident on that. But if I have to uh, issue a belated correction <laughs> on that, I'll more than uh, yeah. I'll be happy to do so. But I'm pretty sure... <laughs> Just, just for logistic, just for logistical purposes, um, yeah. I, I think it's just easy. Like if they're playing the home games in Melbourne, they might as well train in Melbourne too. Yeah, no, that's right. They've increasingly committed to the Siebel mm. in my time involved with the club. Mm. And there was a meeting I went to years ago, and they, I think they were only playing half the games at that point. And then the following seasons. I think there might have been three more seasons after that. They played every game, mm, I think or, or a greater percentage of games. Last the 2018 season might actually have been the first year they were eligible to play finals as well. I think one of the things they they because they were playing less games in those seasons past, they weren't eligible to play finals. They could have won ten if they played ten, won ten, and were fourth on the ladder. They still wouldn't have played finals just due to that due to the number of games they played. So I think the I think it might have been last year or the last two years. Uh, I could be talking out my butt, but I don't know. I, I certainly know 2018 they were eligible to play finals because they played a full Siebel schedule. Um, and they were impressive too. They were a really good team, both both the men's and women's team. Yeah, they, I remember when they walked into the stadium last season, they were massive. God, they were big. They took it to that Bandits team. There was... There was I can't... I feel bad. I can't remember his name, but there was one guy who was sort of telling us up and he, he might have... He might have riled the crowd a little bit, um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that, that was a, that was a great game. Then they they really did perform well because like these this this is sort of sixteen seventeen year old guys going up against men like professional mate like basketball and, and women. This is tough. That what they're doing was tough, and they were very good for yeah. long stretches of that season. Chris, you're going to win a lot of games if you're shooting about sixty percent from three <laughs> for most of the game. I remember they were just raining them down. I mean, that's the style of a young player yeah, now. Kids, kids aren't afraid to let it fly now. Are they? Shoot the three, extend your range, shoot the three, extend mm. your range. And they were shooting them from everywhere. So I could see the look on some of the coaching staff and our players. <laughs> they were like, God, are they ever going to miss? The, we've covered off on yes. the COE. Let's get back to maybe the new league. So we've got to put it out there. This is early in the piece and maybe we can look at this again at some point in the future when we know a lot more. The... League itself is being labelled the elite league, like it's the Premier League now in Victoria. Yeah, it's going to be the, yeah, it's going to be above the current highest big V. Yes, and it doesn't have a name. No, it doesn't. Um, so, I, do you know any more about that than us regular folks? Um, not as such. Um, I've heard a couple of sort of in trial names. I think they they were thinking of something along the lines of. Victorian Premier League, but I think there's a clash with uh, the soccer there because they've got the NPL, the National Premier League, which yeah. the, there's a local team that plays in that as well. Um, so I'm not sure. I, I'd say Premier League might be off the table, but I, again, I've got no idea. Um, I think uh, Super V might have been uh, another option that was on the table, but 
depends on how closely they want to associate it with big V, super no, V, not, how confusing that depends may not be. how much be. they want to associate it with, you know, a motor oil from the 1980s. Well, no, there's also that. But, again, I'm, sadly, I'm 25 and that doesn't register with me, so maybe it's <laughs> maybe it works for their future branding. But, um, yeah. yeah, no, um, the naming of it, I, I honestly, I can't give you too, too many more insights because I haven't actually sort of heard all that much about it. Whatever they do end up calling it, it'll emphasise the elite nature of it. Yeah, which is what it needs. Mm. There's going to be, from memory, four new entrants. Correct. Which you might be able to clarify this. It's a question that I've had. Looking at it in the way of like what you would do in soccer with a relegation, that the four strongest teams from last season, or is it the four teams that have had the most success with men's and women's programs for a long period of time? I actually don't know the answer to that question either. I would imagine it's probably a combination of both um, yeah. because those those four programs, from what I understand, are, are probably among the biggest in Melbourne. Obviously, Knox used to play in the Siebel, so they'll be familiar with yeah. the requirements of, of this competition. That'll be no problem for them. Um, and the other three uh, whose names escape me, I know Waverley was one. Um, Ringwood. Ringwood. And who was the third one? Uh, I can't remember. But I did, that's okay. The, anyway. I did read it today. They're large, they're large, but they are large programs. They're not, you know, they're, they're, they're clubs that will travel up here for, for tournaments, uh, you know, where appropriate when we host them. And they're, they're big clubs. So I, w- I would imagine they're under no illusions as to what the requirements and the standard of this league will be. My my understanding is that the existing you know former Siebel teams that are coming across into this league that they're not changing anything in terms of their planning and their recruiting and their scouting for players over the off season. They'll be getting the same caliber of guys overseas imports, NBL players, you know NBL development players. They'll they'll be looking for this caliber of of guys on their team because they want to play the best standard of basketball they can over over winter. That's exciting because I don't think anyone wanted to see a new league that. Not, I mean, I've seen some really good big V matches in Melbourne that were strong teams and the quality was very high, but it wasn't Siebel. Mm. And I don't think anyone wanted to see any kind of drop-off, let alone a big one, between what the product was and mm. what it was going to be. So it's exciting that teams are taking that angle, that we're going to keep doing what we were doing. But the thing that I've heard, and it's been in the press, is that the cost of the league is now lower for... Well, at least for the bandits, it's going to be a lower cost. And if that, if you extrapolate that out over the whole league, that everyone's going to see a dropping cost, that it might free up some extra money on some of the programs to actually go and get more talent than what they would have been bringing in normally. Mm. Potentially, yeah. Um, I think, yeah, it depends on which way you look at it. But certainly, like for the bandits, it, it just eases a bit of pressure, I think. I don't think you're going to see them you know, sort of signing, you know, like a David Barlow or something. I, I doubt that's going to happen, even even with a bit of relief in terms of the the administrative costs of the league uh, changing from Siebel to this new league. Um, for the Bandits, I think what they're going to be able to do is either sink a little bit more money into the women's program, which could be obviously that's a, a huge deal now with Lauren Jackson coaching it. She's got a lot of connections there, so I'm actually – I'm really interested to uh, to see where that that goes. Um, yeah. She's she's sort of uh, a little bit preoccupied at the moment. Sort of in early next year when when things start ramping up in terms of basketball recruiting, it'll be interesting to see what the Lady Bandits do because I think that will be something that advantages them, uh, particularly after three strong seasons of development with some local players. 
for the men's team, I think targeting another strong Australian player would be uh, a, a high on their priority list. That's my that's just my opinion. I haven't sort of heard anything uh, along those lines. But if they've got funds available, I would imagine that's where that money would go. Um, they'd be looking for guys who can fill the sort of Daniel Sapokas, who was injured for most of the last year, but that kind of role, or a Darcy Harding type, uh, you know, who can just add a bit more depth and and a bit more talent just to help some of these local guys who are starting to filter through into the men's team after sort of it was a bit, there were a few missing there for a while, just to, just to bolster that depth. I think, you know, one or two really strong depth players, a good sixth man would do wonders for, for the Bandits. Yeah, they probably did lack a little bit of depth last year. And obviously there are certain games where Dan Sapokas will just light the world on fire. Mm. And that's something that he has a baseline standard of being a very good player. But I remember when he first came back and he was playing with Northwest Tasmania, in the first half he torched us. Yeah. He oh, he, he couldn't miss. He was brilliant. And the, the advantage <laughs> of bringing it, the, well, the biggest shame, I guess, of the last season was that Sapokas in his first stint with the Bandits had sort of played as an off guard, as a shooting guard. And then when he went to Tassie, he was sort of given the ball a lot more. He was entrusted as a more of a distributor. He's playing yeah. a lot more on the point. And so if he'd been healthy, you give the ball to he and Deborah George, both of them who now, like Deborah George was a shooting guard primarily before he came to the Bandits and then again similarly worked on on his ability to pass the ball and was yeah. terrific. Give the ball to those two guys and that is a pretty hefty backcourt to have to deal with because those yeah. guys can pull it up and shoot it. They can both drive, especially Deborah, yeah. um, and they both willing passes. So it it is a shame because that, in my season preview for, for 2018, I was really, really excited to see what those two could do together because they had great chemistry in 2015 as well. Yeah, and Dan had gone in that period of time, the two seasons away, he, he'd gone from being a really good player to being touching on that elite level player that he could win you a game and that might not have been there previously but it was when he came he out. was absolutely the second or third best player on that northwest tasmania team in 2017 yeah, there's no doubt which about is huge because they're always a very strong team they too. have they had very strong imports that year they 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 were a legit team they were serious they were seriously good yeah um so yeah yeah it, yeah it's, that was it's a shame that definitely that Dan, disappointing yeah missed out I mean, sort of for most of this year because even the the limited time he did play you could see the difference it made even just his gravity Guys didn't want to leave him on the perimeter. No, which is, yeah, that's what you want. I guess that's probably a pretty obvious thing that they're in that third, well, you know, the the imports and then uh, Deborah George who hasn't re-signed as far as public knowledge goes. I'm not sure where he's at. But no, no, neither am I, but um, he's like, he's still around. He's been working, um, yeah. he's been helping Emily Harmon out with some uh, okay. breakfast camps uh, over in Wodonga. So, so if he was to re-sign and come back, he would probably fit into that third sort yeah, of he slot. Would, he would be, well, he, he, Debbie, really, you could make an argument f- regardless of the, the quality of the imports that you sign as being your best player on the, on the Albury Wodonka Bandits. There's, there's no doubt about it. Like the guys, the guy's just too good. Um, I think yeah. defensively he struggles at times, but other than that, offensively, there's nothing he cannot do. Um, and so if he's sort of he's still hanging around town as far as I know when he's when he's around. I know he travels around a bit over summer and, and does his thing, he gets around. I think he I think to be honest, I think he quite likes it here. I think he feels at home when the bandits are in season and I th- I think he just enjoys working with, with local kids. I think he wants this team to, to achieve well. I think there's something about the bandits that, that resonates for Deborah. So I don't know 
where he's at in terms of whether he wants to come back next year, but yep. I don't think it's off the table at all. Okay, well, that's good. If if he feels that role of being the one, two or three guy, depending on the particular night in the lineups and whatever team they happen to be playing, then a really top-notch Australian player to fill that fourth spot mm. is pretty much essential to compete in it, the seat now. You can't have any weakness in your starting five particularly and expect to be able to start and finish games against quality teams. No, absolutely not. So I think on the wish, I think honestly, I think that 2015 is a good blueprint for how you, how the bandits should construct their roster for next season to get those quality of play, the caliber of players. That's another story. That's a lot more difficult. So I think there's two things that need to happen for the bandits. They need to find two guys who can play the Clay McMath role and the Alex Bogart King role. Having a, a reliable backup big coming off the bench would be huge for them because the last couple of seasons they've relied so heavily on their import centres. I think it's worn them down a little bit. It's been difficult for them. Um, so I think that would be a great start. Um, and then secondly, just injuries. The injuries have killed them. Like if you had Sopokas, if you had Sawyer Dearborn healthy for next year, Sawyer Dearborn's again another great depth guy coming off your bench. He's a great sixth, seventh guy who gives you energy, grabs boards, can shoot. When he's healthy and when he's rolling, he's a really dynamic player. I think just getting healthy, they've had some pretty horrid luck the last couple of years. Um, so if they're able to get those depth players healthy, um, actually I'll add a third thing too, keep those local guys on the roster. Um, I loved what I saw from Mitch Donovan last year. He's 16 yeah, years he old awesome. and, you know, limit, limited. and in But in his minutes, he didn't really make mistakes. He was entrusted bringing the ball up and initiating the offense. He wasn't turning it over. He wasn't throwing bad passes. He wasn't taking ill-advised shots. He played within himself. So I loved. I just dearly loved for him to remain on the team and to be continue to be given opportunities because I think he absolutely earned the minutes he got last year and, and was really impressive. And especially with Jack Duck not back next year, he's going to be important to, to sort of the future of, of the Bandits. He is the future in a, in a lot of ways. Righto, so you brought up something in there about the culture around the club, and that's how I wanted to finish up today. The Bandits' home court and crowd comes up in conversation on a continuous basis. What do you think it is about? I mean, obviously, it's probably a multivariate thing. That's that's probably a, a, that is a great question, yeah. As someone who wasn't into basketball and you, mm. like, I'm just going to put it out there as a, as a question. Do you think that the Bandits and that environment drove your adoption and love for basketball? Yeah. Did, did it help energize I, you? I definitely it? do. Yeah. Um, like, cause it, it is, it, it's when you come from uh, a background that is sort of completely outside of basketball and apologies to anyone who's howling cause they've been in basketball their lives and somebody <laughs> like me's come along, but it's just so different and it's fun. The, the point of coming to basketball is to have fun. So there's some who, who kind of, they'll, grumble and that sort of thing that it's so Americanized and there's, you know, the announcements and all that sort of thing going on. And like, I can accept that to a point, but you've got to kind of ignore that. It's just that there's just something about the atmosphere. I think it's because it's a smaller space. So you've got like, you know, 800 to a thousand people on a good night crammed into that space. And then if the bandits are really rolling, like it is loud as hell. It is great. There's, there's just a closeness to it. I think because you're, you're close to the court. You know, you can, if it's a, depending on how they're going, you can hear the coaches in the timeout. You know, you're right next to everyone. There's a music playing, you've got the banners, there's some history on the court. And just frankly, the quality of the, the game, like it's not a Mickey Mouse sport. So I know. No, it's it's not Bush League. No, it absolutely isn't. So you won't, 
you won't be able to call it a national league anymore because it really will be a state league. But it's a state league sort of in name only. This will be where guys who, if they don't choose, if they choose not to go to Europe, if they're NBL, often NBL depth guys, so your Craig, uh, your Craig Mollers, your Peter Hooleys who've been playing in the Siebel for a long time, which is where they got their NBL starts. Kyle Adnam is another one. They, these guys come back and play. They'll come in back and play this league. These are elite Australian players, and they're coming up and playing against elite players from overseas. That's not going to change. That standard of basketball is so captivating. There's something so raw and visceral about a dunk. There's something so aesthetically pleasing about a well-run play out of a timeout or something. There's something so enjoyable to watch about the ball moving around the perimeter and someone finding a good pass. It's it's a visually pleasing game. I think the immediacy of it as well, of the game of basketball, really is captivating for people. Yeah, and I think with the the increased focus around the women's team and also hopefully just a greater reach as far as recruiting, the excitement will run for four hours. Yeah, absolutely. Because anyone who's wondering are the Lady Bandits worth turning up to, well, for the last four years they've been absolutely fighting their guts out. The, I, I do want so to, many close games. I, I want to take a moment. Like, and, have you and, actually yeah. come across a team? Sorry, Chris, to cut you off. Have you come across a team where their win loss on paper is so not reflective of the actual context of games? It's, it's strange. Um, the, the the context of a Lady Bandits game is has changed, yeah. and I want to give a lot of credit to Jim Wilson for that because yeah. he he saw this team and just flipped it on its head. I don't want to be too harsh, but that that Lady Bandits program, the, the, that first year I covered it, it was just utterly mediocre. It was it was hard to cover. The bright spots of that first year I covered that Lady Bandits team were when they played young local girls, and those girls played well. And then in comes Jim Wilson, and he says, "Screw it! I'm going to play Steph Gorman thirty minutes a game. I'm going to find Australian players like Beck Gulamino, who who only played I think two seasons, but still." going to play her 30 minutes a game because she's not getting an opportunity in Ballarat. I'm going to play Casey Ardern. I'm going to play Olivia Barber. Olivia, remember that name too, Olivia Barber, by the way. The the players on this team, and forgive me if you need to bleep this, but the you players say on whatever this, you want. Good. The players on this team give a shit. Yeah. And then what changes is you get different imports, and that's what leads to a player like Emily Harmon, a top five player in in what was the Seabull, a top five player in what will be this new league, because I expect her to hang around as well. She's living and working in Wodonga for the for the Wodonga Basketball Association. So I haven't, again, and she hasn't signed on paper yet as far as I know, but I'm going to assume that she's in there's conversations lot, to do so. There's a lot of rampant speculation tonight. There is a bit of speculation, but that's part of the fun of basketball as well. We all yeah, that's <laughs> we all follow the NBA. I suspect yeah, we're all creating is. fantasy teams in exactly. our heads. So. But Emily Harmon, a top five player in the Seabull. She all, all Seabull second team last year. She was, a, you know, she hadn't been, she, probably the best Lady Bandits. She'd be a top five Lady Bandits player of all time. Once, sees, oh. what, sees what the team is doing and wants to come back. You see a girl like Olivia, uh, Olivia Barber is, seriously, do not forget that name because she has been so, so good. Um, Caitlin Russell. Yeah. Jim was playing Caitlin Russell, a, a 13-year-old girl, for sort of stretches where appropriate last season, and she was good. She was doing fundamental things against professional basketball players at that age. There is some serious talent in women's basketball in in the Northeast. Those bigger clubs are loaded Mm. with their WNBL connections, but they're loaded, yeah. We've This Lady Bandits team starting a teenage point guard and a teenage small forward and at times a teenage centre 
was was taking it to and occasionally beating teams with WNBL talent. That they beat uh, who did they beat Canberra two seasons ago on I think it was was it a buzzer beater or something. They beat a Canberra team with Mariana friggin' Tolo on it from the Australian Opals on their home court. Yeah, like watch Lady Bandits yeah. games for and God's they, sake. Watch them. They beat they, they beat that undefeated Kilsyth team. They beat exactly. That was, they they went on to win a championship. They were loaded to do that. That day. was a yeah. seriously good team. I think they had about four WNBL starters on that team. Watch their games. Watch their bloody games. That's all I can say. Because <laughs> well <said. laughs> like it's just it's look. If you're gonna if you think basketball is about dunking and running the floor, yes, it's about those things. The women's game is different. Think 2014 Spurs. That's what I think of when I think of women's basketball in general because they move the ball, they run the floor differently, and it's basketball. It's just different. And bloody friggin' watch it because it's just good. Agreed. It is good. You have to watch it. You should watch it. If you're going to come to a Bandits game, you might as well get there at 6 o'clock and watch two games for the price of one. Yeah, well said, mate. So... Sorry, there, I got a bit agitated. No, that's but. fine. That's what the pod, that's what the podcast is for. That'll probably be most of what I leave in. Excellent. <laughs> so, just to finish up, we kind of try to go full circle on this particular show. Mm. And is there anything you're working on at the moment? Because you said I don't know if it was in our pre-chat or whether it's on the recording that you've moved on from covering sport exclusively. From now that you're not a sports cadet or yes. whatever the no, phraseology no, I'm, is, I'm, I'm a regular journo now. Yeah, you're Somehow. regular. Regular. I, don't know how I did it. So is there anything you're particularly excited about um, involving all Brewadonga in general or the surrounding yeah, region? sure. Well, I think about a month ago uh, I did a full feature on Lauren Jackson that you'd be able to find on our website. She had a book come out. It's deeply, deeply interesting, uh, my story especially, but no, her book as well. Uh, read her book. It's great. Um, you'll learn a lot about Lauren um, and also about what it takes to be a professional athlete. As far as other stuff goes, um, I'm hoping, and I've literally only just pitched this yesterday, so... Uh, it might be a few weeks off yet, but um, I'm actually doing a lot of entertainment writing now, so I'm hoping to profile uh, some sort of up-and-coming local bands um, in our entertainment section. So okay. just for something a bit different, I'll, um, yeah, hopefully keep an eye out for that if uh, if that revs your engine as well. Well, that's awesome because it's funny you mention that, and we might be, might be about to go on our second or third tangent here. <laughs> I, I played in, I wouldn't say particularly successful bands, but they were reasonably good bands for a long time. And I was the main booker during a big period in the mid-2000s at a venue here, uh, Soden's Hotel, when it was a band-focused venue. And the lack of really astute coverage has been a detriment to the local music scene. Mm. Because, and it's all, I realise it's all cyclical. Like if the scene's not really, really strong and pulling people and the venues can't continuously invest in keeping things going, then I'm, I'm assuming as a media outlet there's less stories, there's less interesting stories because you're not talking to a group of people that are inclined to go out and see the stuff. Yeah. So I understand why the coverage has dropped off because maybe the scene itself died a little bit first. Maybe. But it's good to hear that someone has an idea of dedicate because the gigs that we put on that got really good coverage were far, far more successful then some of them even deserve to be because <laughs> the power that the paper, the power that the border mail carries around here, it's it's a sledgehammer when it comes to coverage. Like it really can power an event, particularly if it's not pulling its own weight a little bit mm. and that just encourages bands in the scene. Yeah. I think 
that's uh, God. You've, you've, I've got a lot to live up to now. My God. Um, no, well, no, I, no pressure. <laughs> yeah, well, you I'll, took you took over from one of the best sports writers in regional Australia, and you've done a decent <laughs> job of that. So. I've managed. I've bluffed my way so far. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it only took me until my second season of covering the team to learn what a pick and roll was. So. Yeah. Well, I'm sure most people don't know what that is. <laughs> That's okay. Well, I know it now, so it's all right. But <laughs> no, a bit of a bit of research. It's it's crazy when you read about stuff, you learn about it. Um, no, with with entertainment, I think it's kind of our job to, this is going to sound stupid, but to tell local stories. Um, and I just think, I don't think the local music scene necessarily has gone away. I just think the nature of it has changed and I'm excited to explore where it's at now. I might not have articulated where I was going as well as I could have. For me, that like it's hard to understand as a journalist the aspirational nature of getting an article in a paper the size of the Border Mail as an artist that may not have any bigger plans. Exactly, than being, I think the I want I want to be in a really awesome band in Albury, but I don't want to tour the world. Mm. Then getting a big feature in the Border Mail that's a lot of career defining thing. Cool, that's 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 great. It's more sort special. Of for me to hear. It's more special than than you know the non creative involved. Yeah. If you're on the other side of the arrangement, you're hearing it after the fact. I think it's really good validation yeah. for the people making stuff. That's that's uh, well, for one, that's a really high compliment of our paper. So thank you. But two, I think that's important for me personally, but also journalists in general to hear, because sometimes with what we do, you can get swept up and you can get kind of disconnected a little bit. Um, and so this is why doing something like this is really important because it can remind you sort of why you're doing it because these things are important to, to a lot of people. They're, they're why they live their lives in some cases. So, yeah, that's 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 a huge thing to say. Yeah, and don't take this the wrong way, but I think the last thing the world needs is journalists talking to journalists. Oh, my God, doesn't Twitter, it? Twitter's the worst example. <laughs> I take a bizarre amount of pride in my Twitter account. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is a huge issue. Um, but, no, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, and that's kind of on journalists. We need to get better at doing certain things. Things have been done a certain way yeah. for a long time and things need yeah. to change. We need to change yeah. as, as the world changes. And yeah. Sometimes it moves on without us and well, we need to catch up. And that, I think that's the position we're in now, which is fun. Yeah, it's exciting to hear that at least in the creative field, there's, yeah, you can offer a lot there just by writing an article. Cool. Well, well beyond just the words on the page. So that's awesome. good. Yep. Right, Al, we'll probably finish up on that because I've got another interview to do. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm sweating. Sorry, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pushing you for time, but thanks no, so no, much for, for having me oh. on. I really appreciate it. No, uh, yeah, thank you. It's been a real pleasure. And hopefully we can chat more in the future it's been really great absolutely i'd love to talk bandits excellent well not, not just bandits we want to talk about some other stuff absolutely particularly if it's music related because <laughs> yeah. i pretend to know about basketball i i do know a fair bit about tennis and Ooh, i know yeah, a tennis little is, yeah tennis uh, nothing t- tennis is mine oh, i did win a div two championship that, that's a funny wodonga when i was in like year 10 so i've got that funny quick well I'm, i can't hit a ball but i'm obsessed with it <laughs> so i was thinking about today what would be the one thing that if people follow you on Twitter? So it's at Chris Young J. Yes, at Chris correct. Young with a J on the end. Chris Young with a J. The J is for journalist. Yeah, I like it. I was thinking, did he misplace his middle initial there? No, or? no, no. I just couldn't have that Chris Young because apparently there's a country music star in uh, America who's also named Chris Young. There's a country music star I, named everything. Exactly. And I reckon a good third of my followers are fraudulent, just no. teenagers from the American Midwest following me thinking I'm some... <laughs> Great star, and I'm just some idiot from regional Australia. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably not a bad thing. We've all got to have some level of fake followers. Yes. What's the one thing that if people go and follow that, 
they're going to be surprised about from your Twitter account. Oh, surprised about. Um, Besides your writing, your Twitter account's the most public-facing thing you have. Obviously. Yeah, pretty much. It's um, it's definitely sort of my voice. Um, oh, I sound, I'm a bit of an idiot. No, I tweet a lot about the Milwaukee Bucks and actually two things. One, the sheer level of idiotic Milwaukee Bucks tweets I put out. Um, I love that NBA team. Uh, now that once I got into Seabull basketball, I naturally got into NBA basketball. So I do a bit of writing now there as well, uh, apropos of nothing. But um, I think my sheer level of contempt towards my chosen sporting franchises, in some ways the Bucks was the perfect franchise for me, a team that has for so long been so mediocre. Yeah. And I'm a St. Kilda Saints fan as uh, well. So, the footy, I. so I just, well, you would perfectly understand. Yeah. You just... You you just brace yourself for another season of footy, don't you? Not that St Kilda ever really had much success, but I've my favourite tennis player or my favourite athlete in general is Novak Djokovic, and always has been pretty much from when he was a little, from when he was a teenager, and I first started seeing him play in next gen events, cool. and I followed him the whole way through, and obviously he elevated to a level that for a couple of years hardly anyone's ever reached mm. in that sport, and he dominated, and then he fell off the face of the earth, and I thought. <laughs> Did he come across the guys from St. Kilda? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Our freaking it's caught a virus. <laughs> it's so, it's just so, someone's put uh, just a picture of an empty trophy cabinet on the back of their yeah. office chair to taunt me at work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because one, it'll make me rise and say, actually, we have one trophy. And then the obvious comeback is, oh, only one, which is rich coming from a North Melbourne fan, yet I still have no comeback. So yeah, well, welcome true. to the St Kilda experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not pleasant. <laughs> Righto, mate. Well, it's been a real pleasure. And, yeah, if anyone's still listening to this, you can check out Chris's work with the Border Mail. I actually I do have the digital sub. and uh, Thank you. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're delivering most of the value. I feel like I'm getting out of that at the moment. <laughs> so hopefully I'm assuming when basketball season comes on, it's going to be excellent content. Con- I'll have content when... Uh, yeah, and this whole entertainment thing is going to make it even more valuable. So. Cool. Yep, so at Chris Young J. Chris Young J. Chris Young Twitter, J. That's where you can find out about what it's like to look at someone melting down about the Milwaukee Bucks. So I didn't know there was actually anyone that would ever do that. So. Oh, hell yeah. We are there. We're many. <laughs> that's it. Righto. Very good. And thank you for listening to Punching Sideways. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.